This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, you might think I'm getting double teamed by two ladies. They're going to beat me up about being a white man, middle-aged, in the insurance industry today. But that is the exact opposite of what we're going to talk about, because I'm on their side. We are male, pale, and stale. And the Power Producers starts with Ciara Gravier and Sarah Mooney's right now. Ladies, what's going on? Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. Yeah, you're 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 filling in for the beard. He's uh well, he's got some sort of complications or I I can't violate HIPAA, you know, or whatever, but he's at the doctor. <laughs> so, hopefully all that turns out well for him and unfortunately, I'm going back tomorrow because, you know, some people know this, some people don't. I don't even know if I talked about it on the podcast or not. But I did talk about the fact that I had surgery back in November to take a tumor off of my rib cage, but unfortunately, they only took half of it. So, they left half for me to save for later, and I get to go back in and let this guy try and second time to, to get it out. So we'll find out what that looks like tomorrow. Thankfully, it is non-cancerous. I'm good with that, but it is somewhat serious in that it is close to my liver and my gallbladder. So if this thing continues to grow, it could cause me some pretty significant complications. So certainly taking that seriously. But anyhow, that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about what's going on with Sarah. She just released a book. Floor is yours. Talk a little bit about talk a little bit about who you are and where you've come from first. Then I want to get into the book, and then I want to get into why you decided you wanted to do this because I know a little bit about writing books myself, and uh, I question my mental state sometimes when I look back at why I did it, how I did it, and everything else. So it's going to be really cool for me to compare notes with you on what your experience was like. Absolutely. So um, I've been in the insurance industry for twenty one years. I started in insurance in 2001 in college as a part-time job and just, um, I don't know, it's like the mafia. They, they brought me in and then they wouldn't let me back out. I, I fell in love with it. It's been a great industry. There's been a lot of obstacles, though, with being um, a woman in this, in this industry. And then also, I've worked in a lot of smaller agencies and I actually even tried to work at some larger agencies thinking it would be better. And the the obstacles, the glass ceilings, the things I've had to overcome, I'm just ready for that to change. I'm ready for us to stop making it so hard 
on others to move to move up for talent. Like if you're talented, you should be able to have the same opportunity as another talented individual versus you're female. So you're not going to be as good as this average guy who's half as good as you are. Um, it gets really tiring to train other people who aren't as good as you are and then get blamed for their lack of ability. So I wanted I want to change that conversation. Sarah, hold on. Can I just ask you really quick, please, when you talk, don't pull any punches, okay? (laughs) I want to make sure that we're laying it all on the line for everybody to hear. But obviously, I'm being sarcastic. That's that's the message everybody needs, right? So Ciara knows this. We're in a couple of online um, Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, whatever. And I'm always blown away by some of the stories that we see when a female that's in the group posts like a screenshot of a horrid text exchange Mm -hmm. with a client or a prospect, right? I understand what happens in the industry at large, but even how females are treated by clients and prospects just is absolutely mind-boggling to me. And I feel like part of the problem is, you know, not enough of that stuff is shared, right? Not, Not At least not in the big public forums. Maybe that stuff's being discussed with, an agency principal and then they don't act on it or whatever else. But in many cases, the groups that I'm in are the agency principals. Mm-hmm. And to see that people are getting, you know, men are making passes at these women or, you know, I'm sorry, this was my quote page, not Tinder. You know, <laughs> like well, it just blows my mind. Yeah. That this, And so I think that I think part of the problem is that that stuff doesn't get shared real enough. And and I think that part of the problem is because I think that men's natural reaction to that is to sort of poo-poo it like, oh, she's being dramatic. That's not really happening, whatever else. And and I'm not saying that because I'm guilty of it. it. It hits me between the eyes, but I can see from a man's perspective that that's where they would go with that thought process, right? And and so because that's where how they think in some cases, then why would females want to share these things if nobody it, – it's like, you know – telling your kids something a number of times and they're not going to listen. So you quit telling them. And then all of a sudden something really bad happens. Right. It's kind of on me too. I should have continuously done it or been more forceful in my message. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think really needs to change. And that's, you know, truthfully, I told you, you and I don't know each other from, you would never recognize me walking down the street, right? (laughs) You will after this, but you know, we wouldn't. I saw you on LinkedIn. I saw that you wrote a book. I saw that you were a female in the industry. In my mind, naturally gravitated toward. Let's give her a platform. Mm-hmm. You know, it could it, it could be the worst book in the history of man. Right? Doubt that very seriously. But here's what I do know: it's better than the book that wasn't written. And at least you're making an effort, right? So we're gonna get into that and, and, and uncover some of that. But you know, how far off base am I? You know, in terms of where where, where my head is. Um, you're not far off base, and in fact. Just to back up a little bit, what I find and what has happened with me is I've talked, I talk to women. We share our stories with one another. We cry on each other's shoulders. We, you know, hey, I know it sucks that that happens. Let's try to support one another. But when I talk to, when I've tried to talk to men or even mixed company, I get told to shut my mouth and um, just keep it to myself, act like a big girl. I've been told to keep, Put your big girl panties on and get over it. Mm-hmm. Do your job. Mm. And I don't want to hear about anything else. And a lot of my discrimination has happened with my employers, 
more than clients. Mm. Like I, you know, I get every once in a while, I get the LinkedIn message from somebody, Hey, you're pretty, or I like your smile. And I just don't, I you know, I never get that message. You don't get that <laughs> I one. Get that. <laughs> I get really offended by it because I'm like, you know, I was like, I'm, I don't know. It, it, I never get it from hey, another Sarah, female. you're hot. You want to come on my podcast? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just creepy. And I've been married so long that I feel uncomfortable. Like if anyone seems like they're flirting with me at all, it makes me feel really gross and uncomfortable. I just don't like it. And when I had like, and I, I've had so many different employers do treat me so many different ways that have, has been deemed as acceptable for whatever reason. And I've been threatened to not share those stories. And that threat is really what has encouraged me to say, you know what? I'm tired of it. Enough is enough. Not only am I going to share my story and particularly the person who lit the fire under me, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine and telling her about one particular story where I took a leap of faith in 2016. I fell on my face. It was a leap of fall is what it was. No one ever talks about that. (laughs) Um, My confidence was completely broken. I didn't feel good about myself. And the guy told me when he let me go, if I ever shared what happened in his office because it was that bad. That he didn't say because it was that bad. I'm saying that. He said if I ever shared what happened, he would have me blacklisted in the insurance industry and I would never be able to find a job again. And let me tell you, this person was, I I worked for some doozies. This one was the biggest doozy. Um, Is this doozy still in the insurance industry right now? As far as I know, I had to block him from all the platforms um, that that we were connected on. And I hope I blocked him correctly, but I'm sure he'll get this message somewhere along the way. Um, You know, he's one of those big ego little, I don't know, am I allowed to say, you know. (laughs) Say whatever you want. (laughs) His ego did not match him. Um, He he just thought he was God's gift to everything. He told me at one point, um, so he sexually harassed me while I worked for him. He asked me to do non-ethical things. Um, he told me at one point he owned me because I worked for him when I told him I oh. felt uncomfortable with something. And I told my husband, I was like, not even you own me. Like, it's really hard to control me. I'm not a controllable kind of person. I'm not a control freak either. I just don't like people to tell me what to do. I don't know. <laughs> Is that control freak no, or not? No, I mean, I think that anybody like, look, I think anybody with any ounce of entrepreneurial ability at all take male and female and just throw it to the side because I think that you can be either one and be an entrepreneur. That's, mm-hmm. that's been proven over and over and over again. Look at Sarah Blakely from Spanx. How many people do you think control her, right? Like this, that's, that's someone who I look up to as a CEO, an entrepreneur of a, an, a brand that she grew from the ground up. And I don't, I don't look at her per se as a female. I look at her as a, as a mentor, right? I look at, I look for her LinkedIn every single day to see what's on the coffee cup she's drinking from. My God, this lady, He's got to have 10 storage sheds full of coffee cups because she never uses the same one twice. But I mean, I think that's part of the problem too. You know, men and women have unique differences and I do feel like that's what makes them obviously unique and they need to be able to recognize and appreciate and embrace that stuff and use that in a way that's effective for all involved. It's not that you should ignore it. It's not that you shouldn't acknowledge it. You know, it needs to be embraced and, and you need to be let let it left to your own devices. Now, if you work in my agency and you're a male or a female, I don't care what you are. I don't care who you sleep with. That's your personal preference, whatever else. But if you're not making your numbers, I'm going to have a conversation with you and I am going to control 
what your behaviors are, right? But that's also kind of what's expected is when you're working in an agency and you're not hitting your targets or you're not performing well, you know, you have to deal with it. That's not control. That's just part of the deal of coming into the job. Me asking you to do things that are left to center and saying, oh, by the way, if you don't do this, I'll blacklist you or I own you. I mean, come on, man. You own somebody? Get out of here. Right. This dude needs to be driven into the woods and beat down. Well, you know, I wish someone would. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm feeling like do not do not make me go rent a cousin Eddie blue leisure suit in an RV and drive to northern Texas. Okay, I'm Tim with a good time. You you might be surprised what comes into your living room on Christmas Eve with a big red bow around it wearing pajamas this year. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yara, what about you? I mean, you're nodding your head an awful lot. Talk a little bit about your experiences well, and some of the stuff you've had to deal with. Yeah. I Because I can tell you, I know this. I'm going to make a really dangerous statement here, okay? And most of the time that I'm talking, I'm on a slippery slope, <laughs> and I feel like I do a pretty decent job of navigating it. But I know specifically in the Hispanic culture, it's a whole different animal, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take the male ego that Sarah's talking about and you – 10x that now you're dealing with probably what you see a lot where you're at down in South Florida. Yeah. So for me, um, in the industry, it hasn't been, um, fortunately for me, sorry that you had to go through that, Sarah, but you know, I worked for my dad. Most of I was gonna say, you got the G, like, <laughs> the G, like even, even if, even if something happened, like they would just not show up for work the next day, never to be seen again. Right. I mean, he, he'd make sure things were taken care of. Yeah. I don't, I don't have it um, from within, but I, I do have it. Or, and I used to have it more from, you know, my prospects, the clients, things like that, where it's like, I'm just viewed as the receptionist. I'm the CSR. I'm the one that processes the certificates, but anything that he says would go. So that's that's part of the reasons why I got all my designations, right? So that way they knew. From- and she has them, people. She yeah. has the designations. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons because you have not- to start putting them on the back of your business card. <laughs> if you're not careful. I'm not going to carry well, over. I'm not just a, an order taker. I'm a professional, and I have dedicated myself and I've put in the time to earn your respect. So you have to respect me. That's just and and, and now at, with the agency that we have built, now we also have the. Um, flexibility to be able to, you know, decide who we want to work with. If I feel disrespected, I don't need to write your insurance. I'm not going to die because I don't get your one account. Mm -hmm. You can just go to somewhere else where you could treat that person how you would like to treat them, but it's not going to be me. No. Good for you. I think that, I think that's true for any of us too, though, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not, not as much, not as much. Yeah. To be able to be in that position where, where you can decide, well, you know, sure, I, I need the business, but I don't need it enough to, to, to disrespect myself. No. And you know what, here, here's the thing. I see this all the time and I, I use the remark and this is, this is not a, um, gender related remark because I use it with men more than I do with women. But I mean, our industry is notorious for whoring ourselves out over mm-hmm. premium, right? It doesn't matter who you are. You know, there are plenty of men, probably more men out there that are getting in front of these accounts that do exactly what you said. They treat, they get them to do what they want them to do, jump through hoops, treat them like garbage, everything else. And these people take it because they're worried about getting the premium. And, you know, it reminds me of a story that I heard a long time ago when I was a kid, there was a guy that went into, um, and I may have said this on a podcast recently, but if I did, oh, well, you get to hear it again because I think it's a good story. But a guy's sitting at dinner with a lady he's out on a date on, and they see a guy come into the restaurant where they're at and sit down at a table with another lady. This guy, absolutely gorgeous. Dude, dude's 
dressed to the nines, got the nice watch on, obviously has a lot of money. And the guy that's on the date looks at his date and says, just out of curiosity, would you sleep with that guy for a million dollars? And he said, and, and she looked at him and she's like, for a million bucks? Yeah, I probably would for a million bucks. And so he looks at her and he says, well, would you sleep with me for 20? And she said, she reads across the table and slaps him in the face. She goes, what do you think I am? And he said, you already told me what you were. I'm just trying to figure out what the price is, right? And so if you think about that, that's exactly what we do every day when we're out on the streets and we settle for anything other than what our own expectations are. Good for you that you can walk away from that because there's too many times that I see producers of any gender that are out there wasting their time on accounts because they're chasing a premium that they're never going to be able to close. Prospects are the best at using you. They are the absolute best. And if you don't hone your skills in to be able to figure that out, you're going to have big problems. Mm -hmm. And even when you close those, those are the 20% that cause all the problems. Mm -hmm. Like 80% you never hear from and they're they're awesome clients. But the 20% that give you the biggest amount of work and problems along the way are those ones that gave you problems in the beginning. And we're sitting here saying, man, I should have known this. I saw it coming. And yet we don't have the discipline to make the decision to walk away. Right. So good, good for you that you do. So talk a little bit about your book. What, you know, talk, let's get into what, what, what it's about, the title, mm-hmm. all of that. Where did you come up with it? And, and then we'll, we'll drill into that for a little while because we can go for days on this. <laughs> uh, so the book is actually about the talent. So it's a two parter in a way. So it's about everyone complaining about the lack of talent in our industry. And a lot of the people I've been hearing about it, it's usually leadership level saying, Hey, people are afraid to retire. We don't have enough talent. How are we going to get our industry to attract the new generation? Where's all, where's all the talent going? And how do we bring them in? And my argument is that the talent is here. We have the talent. 60% of the industry is women. And I guarantee that more than 12%, because only 12% make it to upper management levels and above. And I guarantee there's more than 12% of talent out of that 60%. So how do we find that talent that's there? It's been here the whole time. How do we foster it, mentor it, take away barriers, like learn what the barriers are because they're unique for women and men. Take away some of these, you know, people like put it out in the light that things that should not be happening in 2022 are still happening and try to start changing the conversations, make it just make it visible. So my argument is, is that we don't have a lack of talent. We have all the talent we could ever want and need. We just need to um, dig, dig for gold, find all the gold that's already there, all all the buried treasure, all us awesome women that are talented. And we just keep hitting those barriers that make it hard to come through. And a lot of times what happens is after enough pain, then a lot of women are going to find other industries or go and start their own companies because they're tired of hitting those same walls. I I don't learn from walls, apparently. I just bounce off of them and hit another wall. <laughs> um, however, a lot of... You're like a racquetball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but a lot, of, um, a lot of women, I mean, there's a breaking point where if you just keep hitting the same glass ceiling with several different companies and employers, and it's really just due to gender... Um, or, or race, or just a difference in opinion, whatever it is, those should not be barriers that are keeping you from 
you know, impacting the insurance industry as a whole in a positive way. And the other thing that I've noticed is most of the decision makers in households, they're women. So why is it all the men making all they the decisions? They are in my household. Yeah. <laughs> I make all the decisions. Well, Ciara knows. <laughs> She's phenomenal. Gender so roles change. Cool everything she said. <laughs> Gender roles are not the same as what they used to be. And I'm, that's a good thing. So if most of the people out there making decisions are women, how are the men, the ones that are doing the advertising and talking to, to the women really doing the best job? So that, that's really what it's about is just, you know, the benefits of women and insurance, the benefits of women and leadership, how to find, a, how to find us and, and how to um, keep that talent here and then attract in doing so gen z is all about social justice and doing the right thing they're they're so different than millennials and millennials are becoming like they're in the business world already they've already decided what they want to do so now it's all about the gen z and so if we can get the gen z in and attracted and they can see how awesome we are then now we have a whole other pool of talented individuals to to choose from Sarah, what's your comments? I, and I, by the way, can I just tell you guys how awesome it is to have Sarah and Ciara on here? <laughs> because guess who's getting jealous? Siri. She's going nuts because every time I say one of your names, it goes off trying to see how it can help me. <laughs> I was, I actually had a question, um, Sarah, to see what you felt about what about you know the majority of of the staff in these agencies, right? They're women. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones doing the day-to-day, the processing. And like you said, they're not on the, David and I have spoken about this too. There's very few women producers and I think it's either agency owner or CSR, mm-hmm. right? You know what's interesting though? Excuse me for one second. You're hundred percent right. But what I'm going to say is that of the people that I know that are female producers, they're all really, really good mm-hmm. producers. Yes, so yeah. guys, like, Quit being dense, right? Like, I would love to be able to bring in, you know, and actually, it's funny, you know, what in, I'll let you go. I'll talk about my strategy here in a minute, but go ahead. Well, that, that's kind of my question as far as like, what do you think, Sarah, it's going to take to get the women that are running the age, really, they're running the agencies, uh, making the men the money, right? Because they're doing the day to day tasks. What do you think it's going to take to get them to? you know, want to do more or to believe in themselves more or, you know, to take the leap, to take the the, the leap of faith, right? Not, <laughs> not the fall of not, faith. Not the, fall, <laughs> not the fall. But what do you think? Um, you know, I think that the industry is changing in that direction. I think that women have more of a platform and what you just did coming out and telling your story and giving other women that have gone through that a chance to tell theirs is one of the ways that we make the change, right? But like, what do you think agents... And even on the company side, need to do to give women the opportunity to, you know, want more and to to try to get it. So that's an interesting thing. And I was actually a topic and I was talking to someone else about it. And really, I think it comes down to in the early years, women lack confidence because we have to prove that we can do something a lot of times before we feel confident. Guys, a lot of times and I can like even compare my daughter and my son, they're three years apart, but guys, a lot of times they're confident, but they're not competent. They don't have to prove that they're, they can do something. They're just going to fake it till they make it and figure it out along the way. And it's just the way we're wired differently. And, you know, some women may be more like the, 
I'm confident no matter what, and I'll just figure it out. But, but for the most part, that's what I find. And when you're kind of like start hitting your 40s, it actually flips a lot of times. So women, because we have more experience, we become more confident because we're showing that we've already been able to make all these accomplishments. We're feeling competent. Whereas guys are seeing all the mistakes that they made along the way. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I was such an idiot. And their confidence starts declining. So we have to, we need to shorten that curb. And for women to shorten that curb, we need mentors and we need train, we need training. We need to be shown, okay, you want to, you, you want the next level. You want to be able to make more income. I have a plan for you. And if you follow these steps and we go through this training, you will be successful if you follow my lead. But a lot of it has to do with fear. I mean, I, I had fear too, of um, becoming a producer, but I also like money and <laughs> I, I needed to make more money. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought I was like, I was already selling as a customer service rep in one position. So I decided I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to just try to sell on my, like, I had to actually go change up um, agencies in order to get a producer role. Cause he told me I wasn't a salesperson. So I went into another agency and I blew it out of the water And, but him like feeding into my lack of confidence, that's what's, I think a lot of times, I don't think it's that women don't want more and we don't want to move up. We want those opportunities. It's just when we don't, when we feel like we could fail and we have the fear crippling us, that's what's holding people back. Um, And maybe, maybe it's taken them until they're in their late thirties, forties before they're like, oh, okay, I can do that. Or maybe at that point they feel like, oh my gosh, I've gone this long just doing this one job. And, and I don't know if I'm too old to do that. So there's just different conversations going on in people's heads. And when men are feeding into that lack of confidence, rather than trying to feed the confidence, that's what's really crippling, I think, those CSR roles, because um, they're scared. They're scared. What if what if I'm not able to do that? Well, if you can show them a plan where they for sure can be successful if you follow these steps and you watch my lead, you're going to be successful. Why wouldn't you want to go from making 50000 to 100000 Because the guy whose book you're managing is scared to death Great. that if you leave yep. that position, yep. he's going to lose out. Yep. That's exactly why. My strategy to fix some of this stuff, and I'm going to tell you, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. I was in Vegas last week. I spoke at the Keystone Emerging Leaders Conference for all of the Keystone Insurers Group young and emerging leaders. And I visibly was able to tell that there was a far greater presence of females in that room than what I've really seen at at many conferences. I I feel like IAOA at innovation this year was pretty good too, because you, I mean, you might not have seen it. I think it was an interesting dichotomy to see what it would look like if you saw the picture of the room at large, because that room at large still showed that it was very much women being a minority but then to see the solidarity of the picture that you all took as a group at lunch for everybody who's in the women of IAOA, it was it was good to see. So if you looked at only that picture, it's like, oh, wow, we're doing pretty good as the insurance industry. Look at all those women in insurance. But then you go over and you see what it looks like in the open forum, which I had I was speaking from stage so I could look out and see everybody. We still have a long way to go, right? But I was pleasantly surprised at Keystone because I didn't expect that. Not not because of Keystone, just because of, of how the industry is. The other piece of that, though, is I feel like that we should all take in, – in, in people, if 
if you don't want to do it for the right reasons, do it for the business reasons too. And then hopefully at some point you'll come around and actually get a moral compass. Okay. But one of the things I think we can all be doing is, is agency principles to bring people in is to really work with bringing in college interns. Okay. One of the things that I have done, and I've actually got a call with a young lady, either it's either later today or tomorrow, that's going to talk to me about coming in to be an intern. We have an intern every summer here. It's intentional. And three out of the four that we've had have been female intentionally. And we empower them literally. Like I've, I've, been accused of probably empowering them too much. And I forget the fact that they're just college kids that really probably need that little bit of guidance from me to do what we do. But, you know, it's pretty well documented that we have a really successful program that we built for Florida wedding insurance. That was all done by a female college intern, right? And we, you know, she came in and and, and what I did, now listen, people, this is earth shattering rocket science that I'm getting ready to tell you. What I did to empower her, was I paid attention to what she had to say and I listened and I took action to it. That's it. That's it. She would come in very proud of everything she had built the day before. And no matter what I was doing, I would stop and I would look at it and I would say, wow, <laughs> you continue to impress me with everything you're doing. What other things do you think we could be doing? And guess what? She was a treasure trove of information. Well, you could go to Instagram. You could go to Snapchat. What I'd really like to do with this is I would like to get some sort of tchotchke that we can go and have a booth at all the bridal shows. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. We weren't even talking about any of this. This is awesome. And I realized a couple of things. Number one, we're not just prejudiced. Prejudiced is probably a strong word, but I'm going to use it anyhow because I think it applies. We're not just prejudiced against people for gender. We're not just prejudiced against people for race. We're also prejudiced against people for age. And that's a big problem because we got a lot of old white men that are getting ready to try and sail off into the sunset. And if they are not collaborating as opposed to controlling, they're not going to get the same valuation that the venture capital firms are giving because their agency is basically dead and they just haven't figured it out yet. And so I think that if we can all as agency principals make a focused effort in trying to get talent into the pool, I start younger than that. Every single year I speak at the Great American Teach-In. Every year. And I can go to a group of elementary school kids and I can talk about what we do and have them engaged. I know people think I'm nuts. I can do it. I promise you. There was a year when my oldest son, who is actually coming on board at the agency full-time here at the beginning of March, was in elementary school. And I went and I spoke to their class about how to build websites and, and generate revenue from websites. Had nothing to do with insurance, right? But they understood websites. And this is back in the time when the... Um, it was one of the little bracelets that they, it was probably like, shoot, probably 10, almost 10 years ago now. But it was when they had the little bracelets that had the looms and people would would weave the bracelets and they trade them and all of that. It was like really, really hot. Like my kids had to have every color band. We had to have multiple looms because you couldn't share one, right? And so we bought the domain in real time. I'm standing there. We bought the domain loomsandbands.com. We built a really quick website. We went to YouTube and found some people who taught how to make these things, embedded them. Then we created Amazon affiliate links to buy the products and all of that. And we talked and I showed them in under an hour how you could build revenue on the internet, but it didn't stop there. 
what we did was we calculated, we captured that revenue every month when it came in, and we took all of those proceeds from the Amazon affiliate relationship that we had, and we used it to buy Kindles for his classroom, and we were able to give them 10 or 12 Kindles, and we gave them all of the credit for doing it because, hey, what, what bracelet do you want to see, or what's your favorite color? And we engaged them the entire time. The, the problem that has to be addressed before anything else is you have to be willing to give of yourself more than you're receiving and actually listen to what people are saying. Not that you have to agree with that, right? I have a lot of friends that I don't agree with, but they're still my friends and I'll still listen to their point of view. I'm stubborn. They're probably not going to change my mind on many of the things that I'm entrenched on. But at the end of the day, we have gotten to a point in society right now where you can't even have a respectful disagreement with anybody. And as agency principals, I can tell you, I can picture it right now. For eight years, I was in an agency where my father was the principal. And if that wasn't the case, Florida Risk wouldn't exist today. But I can't tell you the number of times that I would go and say, hey, I think we should look at doing this. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Or I think we should go do this. I think we should. Guess what? All that was doing was depositing fuel into into my tank. And when that tank got full, I was out. I launched my own agency and I was off to the races. And guess what I did? Everything I wanted to do there that nobody would ever listen to me about. And I'm more successful on literally almost every front than what they are. So you can either nurture the talent that you have the ability to bring in-house, or you can let it go somewhere else. But the absolute best people are always going to rise. They're always going to figure out a way. I don't care if you're man, woman, black, white, whatever, you're going to figure out a way. And you better pray to God you treated them right along the way, because they also have the resolve to take you out when that happens. Or write a book. Like writing books and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, communication, like there are so many times where I was told to to be quiet, to shut up. And um, eventually you just, you do shut up and you just talk to the people who are listening. And then I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, well, I'll just talk to everybody and get it out there in the world. So, um, but when you're told to shut up enough times and you're told that you don't matter and that you're small, you just kind of, you know, bury your hand, not your head in the sand, but you just kind of retreat back for safety and wait for the next opportunity to present itself because you've given up on that particular place of employment, maybe. And that, I mean, that's a lot of my story and a lot of other women's stories that I that I collected because I have about 10 other women that I um, got their stories from all over the U.S. and collected. But I, you're absolutely right. Communication is like step one, just listening and being, being able to receive. And then the, the growth mindset versus the closed mindset. That's huge because if you're not growing, you're dying. I mean, and um, that goes for, you know, personal and professionally, you have to always grow. Otherwise, you're going backwards. You do, and you also have to feel awkward, right? I tell people all the time, if you don't feel awkward, you're not pushing yourself to the boundaries of what you're capable of. You know, in in, in the better you get and the longer your tenure, the harder you have to push to get to those boundaries. But at the end of the day, I hope that there's never a day that goes by where I'm completely comfortable with everything I'm doing, because that means I've stopped. It means I've stopped my initiative to grow, make myself better, improve my, 
my family's life, my agency's, you know, well-being and everything. And I, that that's a big issue. Now, you mentioned that you had other women. Is this something where you, like, included them in the authoring process? I mean, or is this one of those deals where, like, everybody is subject A, subject B? Because I'm interested as to whether, like, did they, they go full Monty? Did they, did they lay it all on the table and just say, hey, here's who I am and here's who screwed me over over the years? Or, or what does that look like? Um, so they're all protected under aliases be, um, because they – they fear of repercussions. I hope you picked really good aliases. <laughs> good enough, I think. And some of them, some of them were success stories. Actually, like if these, good. if these things um, can can be uh, mimicked, if you could be this way and get these opportunities and make it so a talented woman can move up, th- these are the kind of results that you can look at. And some of it was, you know, things that similar to how I dealt, or I, you know, I interviewed other people. Um, of other ethnicities where they could truly share their story. Cause I can only share my story as a white female. I can't share a story of being another color cause I'm not. And so I really, it was really important to me that there was different people from different parts of the industry. I was the only one really on the agency side. And then I had nine, nine other women from other parts of the industries from company, large companies to carriers, to um, aggregators, to, to, Every, every different part of it. And all of them, um, I interviewed them, and then I tried to write as true to what they were saying um, on the recording. And then I had a few of them actually wrote their own pieces, and then I just swapped out their name for a made-up name for Betty Sue is what. <laughs> Betty Sue's the worst. <laughs> you got to get more exotic than that. <laughs> Like Ciara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that was, so, so talk about, yeah, talk about the process a little bit. What was it like when you wrote the book? I mean, I can tell you what it was like when I wrote it, I put it off until I absolutely had to have it out. And then I spent two weeks, like every single day, just mashing it out. So mine was opposite. Like once I decided to write it, I got a little bit obsessive compulsive about it. And I wrote 30 some odd thousand words within 90 days. Um, I was in a lot of trouble because I stopped paying attention to my kids and my husband and I locked myself in a room and I just couldn't stop getting ideas on paper. Um, how long, I'm sorry, sorry, but how long from when, when it happened to you, did you hold it in and then finally, like, what was the time gap? For like when the stories had hap- actually happened to me? To you, yeah. That, that When all of that happened to you with that, you know. That how was- long have you been carrying this around yeah. inside before you just let it go? Well, I had several different stories in me and that are shared in the book. Um, so my first story started in 2004 when mm-hmm. um, I got fired for being pregnant. And then my, yeah, oh. you know, something that happens I, apparently still in 2004 and then uh, my next part of my story was my um, got boss telling me I wasn't a producer, that I just need to be happy with being in a service role. Um, you know, I was being greedy for, for need, wanting to make more money and do better for my family. And then the next one was just them telling me that I was only a producer and that's all I was good at and I couldn't do anymore. So it was like a different conversation. Um, and then the 2016 was probably the hardest one because that was the first time, well, second time, I guess I had been fired the first time for being pregnant, the second time for crying too much in 2016. He told me he was tired of hearing me cry. So, so we just need to part ways. And he was also the one that tried to blacklist me, um, in the insurance industry or threatened to blacklist me. 
So it's been, um, it's all been inside of me for a long time. And I've shared with, you know, um, friends of mine who will kind of share their vulnerable stories and I'll share mine, but I don't typically share them with men or the world because the few times I've mentioned something, they're like, well, you must have misunderstood. Like, that's probably not what he meant. That's not what they meant. That's not really what happened. And um, usually just the women are the ones that believe me or the other guys will be. I've also been hurt, told that, you know, I'm tired of hearing you. You're a whiner. Don't whine. Just make it happen. Just make, you know, be successful. You have you have the same opportunities as everyone else. So so that was all kind of like that was in me for a long time, those stories. And that was the first part of the book was just getting those stories on paper and then um, finding the research to back it up. So I really started looking into the whys, like, you know, how long have women been in the insurance business? What are we good at? Um, what do women do well in the insurance industry? Why haven't we talked up? Um, just the different scenarios, like what are the benefits of us being in leadership? And um, there, I even go into mental health, like how that impacts the performance of um, employees. So I just really like dove really into all the research as well. And then I tried to find other people that I knew um, to interview so that we could have a well-rounded out book with stories as well. So it, so the writing process for me wasn't very long. I probably, from the time I started writing it till the time I got most of the words on paper, it was probably maybe six months. Um, the hard part for me was the editing process. I thought all I had to do was get the pa- the words on paper and um, an editor. <laughs> and then I was like, it's awesome. Hey, I thought I nailed the editing process. And then James <laughs> Jenkins read my book with a highlighter <laughs> or two. Yeah, I went through. Yeah, I went through like four different editors that like different ones had different opinions and had me restructure and pull apart. I think I have the the same book I probably have written it ten times at this point, in ten different versions depending on what people told me, uh, different editors told me, and then um, I finally got with my final editor, and then she had me pull it apart again, and we restructured it, and um, she was awesome to work with. Uh, through insurance nerds was that my final editor and um, I think I'm, I hope it's the best version of it that it can be I'm sure that it could always be better but um, we spent a good seven eight months just going through it with a fine tooth comb what drives me nuts is when I look at what I wrote and I'm like god I, I should have put this in there I, sh- I should have put this in there mm-hmm and then it spawns book number two, book number three. And, you know, but it's, it's an interesting process for me, you know, and I talked to a guy, this, this might be a decent tip. If you decide you're going to do this again. Um, we had a guy in the podcast that wrote a book that literally dictated the entire thing into an iPad. So instead of him locking himself up in, in typing everything, he just dictated his voice. He like literally talked for, I think like 10 hours one day and 12 hours another. And um, then had it transcribed. My problem is my mind is a really scary place in terms of lack of organization in there. And I'm always all over the place. So I, my problem is like sequencing. And then I take things. I'm like, actually, this probably would be better over here than it is here. So I'll, I'll just sit down and let it fly. And I'll type for like an hour or an hour and a half at a time. But now I have another two or three hours just taking all of that stuff that I typed and having it make sense to where if somebody else read it, they would actually understand what I was trying to say instead of me being all over the place. 
you know, but the dictating thing is is something I think that's interesting. I don't I don't know how that works, right? I mean, that's how I do all my blog posts because they all start with video, and then I just have them transcribed. So I don't know why it would be any different writing a book. It's just I would really probably have to outsource the editing of whatever that transcribed into because for me to sit and focus on a screen to do that is the worst. <laughs> it's like the worst ever. I, I would hate having to do that. But it's an interestingly therapeutic process to get stuff out. And what I'm going to tell you, your, your book has not been out long enough. You've probably already gotten some of this, but it's not been out long enough yet for you to get this. It's the constant influx of email, thank you cards in the mail. Hey, you wrote this book. It changed It changed how I do things. Or I used this trick that you had in your book and it got me a sale on this account. That's why I did it, man. You're not going to, you might, but I'm not going to be able to retire off of writing books. I'm not a, that good of a writer. But if people, if I can, I am a good salesperson and, and you know, I'm not being braggadocious about that. My numbers speak for themselves. If I can share that and change somebody's life and make their life just a little bit better by being willing to share, the only thing I need from that is, hey, tell me your story. Let me hear exactly what it was. That That's what will keep me continuing to share with people. It's very contagious. And you know, I think that a lot of people out there think that when you do things like this, it's to posture yourself, make yourself look better, build yourself up. That couldn't be further from the truth. That's that's not why people who are truly giving individuals in the industry do what they do. They they do it to help other people and more than any monetary compensation you can get, seeing the fruits of your labor and the ability of somebody to take something you've done and adapt it to their game and, and, and improve it or leave it the same is the biggest compliment that I could ever get. Absolutely. Yeah, I've So you have that to look forward to and if it doesn't mm-hmm. happen, I'm sorry that I set the table for you, but I'm pretty sure it will. I'm sure it's going to happen. You're you're probably going to get an influx of women that you would have, you know, you didn't get to. And they're going to no yours on here. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get you're going to get their stories or or you inspired them to to tell their story or maybe stand up for themselves and yes. do what you and find a new place to work or or go go and be the producer that they've wanted to be but that you know, their agent wouldn't let them be. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping that it does two things. Like one, sheds some light on a problem and how to fix it. Um, two, makes it so that other women going through the same situations that I have gone through or similar roadblocks don't feel so isolated. Because for years, when I said told my story to people, depending on who it was, they'd say, you know, it sounds like Sarah's the problem. Not the industry, not the men that you're working for. Like, I'm pretty sure this is a Sarah issue. Maybe you just pick bad employers. There's something wrong with you, Sarah. And, you know, that is scary. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I I stink. I'm, like, choosing all the wrong people to work for. I was like, I don't know how I chose six in a row that were bad, you know? (laughs) Um, and then I talk- you may be the problem, Sarah. I mean, if your decisions are that bad, six in a row, I mean, I'm just, I don't want to call it like I see it. But I live in Texas, so we're very conservative. And I think the problem might even be larger here than it is nationally. It's still a problem all over. I lived in Birmingham, Alabama for a long time. And I can tell it's you different. it's as prevalent there today as it was before. And I mean, one of the, I, I think one of the reasons why I'm probably more 
um, tempered to these things is is because of my college education. Um, I, I'm a graduate of Birmingham Southern College, liberal arts institution. All of that's fine and well. And by the way, also the alma mater of my good friend Scott Howell from the Insurance Guys podcast. We were there at the same time, knew nothing about the other one, and now we're the bestest of buddies. <laughs> but anyhow, because I screwed the pooch the first time I went to college and I, I didn't take it seriously, I was on my own nickel the second time that I went. And I was in the adult studies program. I didn't go to school during the day. I went to school at night. And I went to school at night with people who were on the tuition reimbursement program from companies like Bell South, Southern Natural Gas, Alabama Power, all of this. And what it ended up being was a bunch of African-American female mid-level managers. So here I am in the heart of the civil rights district at a liberal arts institution, and I'm taking all of these college courses on race and ethnic relations and everything else, things that people would probably be like, oh, that's an easy A, I'll take that one, there's no way I'm going to fail that. But what I found was, um, it was serendipitous that I ended up in that situation because I learned more from the people that I was in class with about what they were really facing and what they were really doing in the business community and how they were operating and how they dealt with this than I was ever going to learn from a textbook. And when you hear those people's stories, I wasn't learning about the civil rights movement by reading a book. I was learning about the civil rights movement from the lady sitting to my left and the guy sitting to my right who actually were there, right? And so to hear those stories and be able to humanize them and understand the impact and just see that, you know, if, if you hear somebody talk about something negative in their life like that, it's not hard. You could put them on mute and I'm going to know from the body language and how they're acting that this is something that's a serious topic that has significant, a, a significant emotional and mental hold on them, right? And so when you do that, it, it leaves its mark on you. And so I want people to understand, you know, this isn't, this is something that's really important to me because I've seen I've seen the impact, right? And so that's why I wanted you to come on. That's why I wanted to talk about your book. That's why I think that it's important. It wasn't that I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I said, oh, hey, there's some good podcast downloads. Let's have this lady come on because she just wrote a book. And then all the other ladies who have the same problem are going to go buy the book and read it. No, that's not what this was about at all. In fact, I wanted to let you guys know that while we were talking, I picked up 10 copies of Undiscovered Voices, Unlocking the Potential of Women in Insurance. And if you email me and use the subject line, Undiscovered Voices, I need you to do two things. We're learning through this process. We love giving books away and helping people. But Undiscovered Voices in the subject line. And then if you want the book, you got to give me your address, people. You can't just send me an email with the subject and no mailing address. I'd love to send it to you electronically to your email, but these are physical hard copy books. And I take the time to write you a note and put it in there to thank you for listening to the podcast and supporting the guests that we have on here. So please, you know, we just did this with the confidence code when we had Don Yell on. We did it with Brian Ahern when we had him on. We did it with Brian Will when we had him on. This is what we do. Don't leave me with a bunch of books. I bought a copy for myself. I don't need 10, right? I want to give them away. So please reach out to me. Subject line, undiscovered voices. Give me your address. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to show up at your house unless it's that guy. Yeah, I mean, in which case, I'll hand deliver that no, book. Him. He's going to say, hey, um, I'm in this book. Can you send it yeah, my well, way? It would be awesome. So in my mind, what I would do with him is I would put him at the bottom of a well like Silence of the Lambs. And then I would stand at the top and just read passages from your book to him knowing he couldn't escape. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> it puts the lotion on its oh, skin. It does what it told or it's told or gets the hose again. Great. Anyhow, what have we missed? Anything that you guys want to get out that we haven't talked about while we were on here? So um, one, one thing that we haven't talked about is the fact that it's going to take men and women working together to make any real change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole lean in movement, I had a, I had a really hard time with that. And I actually read and listened to that book a few times and it never resonated with me because I don't feel like it's all up to the women to make the changes, to change the way we are in order to make the men feel more comfortable and in order for us to find a seat. I think we should have a seat on our own merit, on our own skill level. And I think that, you know, men, men need us. We need each other. If, if we didn't need each other, there'd just be men on the earth and not women on the earth. We have to have one another to survive. It would be a filthy mess. So nobody would hold us accountable to cleaning up after ourselves. And by the way, ladies, if you thought I meant the women were here to pick up after us, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I can tell you that if my wife didn't live in the house, I would probably live like an absolute filthy pig. My furniture would be pizza boxes and clothing would be everywhere, right? But not at our house because I'm told you better clean up after yourself and do what you're (laughs) supposed to do. And, you know, honestly, I have a very, very strong-willed, very strong woman for a wife. Like Most people would think that we would butt heads and we would be absolute mortal enemies of each other like just even if she was a man probably because we're both alpha males period like she she could pass for an alpha male if i had her dress up as a man at the end of the day though it's the exact opposite we actually understand each other at a very high level and we're each other's biggest fan always no matter what and i have joked about it and i'm done joking there's going to be a day very very soon when andrea comes to work with me at the agency and i can't wait that's awesome. awesome. That wasn't a mic drop moment. No, I mean, yeah, look at you. <laughs> well, you kind of mo- you blew my mind because the I would never want to work with my husband. <laughs> so this is a this is a true story, and we'll end on this story because I think that it's important, and I think that it's you know to me the biggest problem in all of this, and I've said about five things that are the biggest problem, but I'm going to tell you what the actual biggest problem is. They're all bad. The biggest problem is the male ego has to get the heck out of the way, right? And so I go back to my story and I go back to where I was in 2016 when I was leaving an agency and had nowhere to go. I was actually leaving the insurance industry. I had jobs at three Fortune 500 companies to be a VP of marketing. I could have gone anywhere I wanted to go. I could have made a heck of a lot more money than I had been making. And I would have abandoned everything I had done for the 10 to 12 years prior. And when I sat down and talked to my, and in my mind, in my mind, this is how men are wired. I'm thinking to myself, I have to go do this. As much as I want to stay in insurance, I I just can't put my family in jeopardy for me to go start an agency from scratch. I'm the breadwinner. I'm the one who has to make sure everybody's taken care of. I'm the protector. So this is the best thing for me to do, even though it's not the best thing for me, right? It's not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted to do. But as the protector of my family, I was leaving the industry and my wife looked at me in a very Jersey way using very Jersey language and and said to me, what are you doing, man? We got this. For 10 years or for eight years, I've listened to you bitch about all the things that you would do if you were in charge. And now you have the opportunity to go do it and you're going to run away and go do something else. I've got a good job. You don't need to worry about it. 
If I need to be the breadwinner for the next couple of years, I want you to be happy. I want you to go do what you want to do. And at that moment, I had a decision to make, right? I could either submit to my ego and go do something else because the male ego told me that's what I should be doing, or I could submit to my wife and realize that she came from a very real, vulnerable, and caring place that she truly wanted what was best for me, and that was to open up the agency, and guess what? She was right. But we have to be willing to concede that. We can't always be right. We can't always have the best idea. And and this is across anything at all that we do. We are so good about going out. And well, some of us are anyhow. I'm sure there's plenty that aren't. But we go out and we listen to our prospects. We ask open-ended questions. And we lean across the table with bated breath waiting for the next thing that they're going to tell us that's going to give us the information we need to go out and close the account. But we can't listen to our kid who wants to tell us what a great day they had at school, show us their art project, ask for some time throwing the ball in the yard. We can't take time out of our, our schedule when we get home to ask our wife how her day at work was or what happened at the house when I was here or when I was gone. You know, tell me, tell me what you're going through. That stuff has to be intentional, people, because if you don't make it intentional, it's never going to happen, period. And the next thing you know, you wake up, you have a failed marriage, you have kids that are out of the house that you don't have any kind of a relationship with, and that's, that, that's my biggest fear. So I made the decision very, very early on. I will always take an interest in my kid's life, whatever it is. There are things that my kids are into that I absolutely hate. I'm bored by. I want nothing to do with it. But when I engage with them, you would think it's the most important thing in the world to me. And I can tell you, that helps my sales game because it makes me a better salesperson when I'm on the street. If all I did was hone my craft at being a better producer, I would be a horrible father and a horrible husband. But if I can focus on the skills necessary to be a great husband and a great father, that is going to transfer at some level to becoming a good producer. It's certainly not everything you need, but it's a great head start. And I got a feeling that a lot of these chauvinists that are out there that are giving ladies problems suck at their job. Mm-hmm. Well, they're threatened. And they know it. Yep, they're threatened. Mm-hmm. With that, we're going to wrap it up. People, email me, david at floridariskpartners.com. Undiscovered voices in the subject line. Got to have an address to get the book. I have 10 copies that we have bought. If we blow through those 10, I have no problem buying another 10. I want as many people as I can to get this book in their hands. Sarah, Ciara, thank you both for coming on. I appreciate it. And for everybody else, we'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.